Welcome back to the True Folk Podcast, Episode 2. This week is a conversation I had with my producer-engineer friend Sam Barna, where we dive into listener experience and how two people can listen to the same album with two wildly different perspectives. But the catalyst for this conversation begins with Sam telling me about his life-changing experience seeing Bon Iver live at a festival in Berlin. Uh, my name's Sam Barna. Right now I'm a student, but I'm also an audio engineer and producer as well as a guitarist in the band Strawberry Blonde. kind of have no idea what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, that's the beauty of it. So I get kind of, I just do the music thing. You're producing a couple of records right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm working on um, a record with my buddy, uh, Sal Santiago. Uh, he goes by the moniker Fern Dells, which is kind of a, it's a singer-songwriter thing, but he's going full band. He's very influenced by City and Color and Boney Bear, Iron and Wine, that kind of thing. Also working with my friends in the band Alumni, who are more of a, a punkish band. They're from Long Island as well. Working with another singer-songwriter named Greta Keating, mm-hmm. who's just awesome. She's got a great voice. And uh, my own band is getting ready to record an EP as well, Strawberry Blonde. Check us out. Now, I remember one time I was mixing something and, or where were we, where were we recording? I think you were recording some bass for a project I was working on. And we just started talking about the new Bon Iver record. And I remember we had like a completely different experience with it. Like to you, it's like your production gospel, essentially. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's just my gospel, hands down. It's one of my favorite records of all time, particularly in regards to the production. I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff, but they really united for the first time. And this, so when you think Bon Iver, a lot of people think Skinny Love, more or less like this very acoustically driven. And if you listen to Bon Iver, Bon Iver, the second record, you think more... Like grandiose a, yeah you like think an more ethereal, ethereal wash arrangement washy kind of yeah definitely washed and reverb very natural very organic but this new record brought in a lot of electronic elements and brought in a very different feel altogether which the electronic elements definitely accentuated in a really cool way and on one hand it was very very different but on the other hand it was almost you got to see it was more natural in a weird way like the uh just the way it was presented let you see deeper into another side of justin and the band that was it was just very special yeah because I remember it got me thinking about kind of expectations because like when you think of Bon Iver, you do have these expectations of a sound and a specific like, I don't know, just a, a brand. And then to have this new release kind of fly in the face of that a little bit and just be like so much different. It got me thinking about expectations versus the reality of what we get sometimes and how we listen to that. So when you when you were listening to 22 Million, did you go into it just like expectation free? Did you think, OK, I can't wait for this like cozy, folky reverb wash thing? Or did you just like open book go into it? Uh, I was actually very lucky. The first time I heard the record was actually live okay. at, a, at a music festival that Justin threw. And it was, well, Justin was a part of it. I shouldn't say through. He was part of it. But, uh, and I, I'm not going to lie. I cried. Yeah. yeah. It was beautiful. It was just a, and it was partially just the festival as a whole, partially live experience, but, uh, it blew my mind. It was one of the craziest and most connected moments yeah. I've ever had. Um, and that's what really got me to, the, both of the singles, 33 and 22 were out at that point. And I was just like, cool. Okay. So it was a little bit prep. Uh, and they were really cool. They were for the expectation thing. If we go into those singles, it'll, yeah. it'll probably get a little bit more of what you're asking about. 22 was very much, it was different, but it was a cool kind of different. It was like, it got me excited. I definitely expected more of a Bon Iver type sound, but at the same time as an artist, when someone breaks those expectations, that's beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. And 22 definitely still came from the same place, it felt like, but it went a little bit more, like again, electronic yeah. ethereal. It was like almost like the electronic counterpart to hollow scene in the sense, yeah. at least personally. Yeah. Uh, whereas 33 was just like, what the fuck is this? <sighs> I did, could not get into it first. I'm not going to lie. It was just like, it was a cool song. It was, if it was released by another artist, I would have liked it a lot. 
But I, being that it was from Boney Bear, I, I really didn't get it at first. But over time, especially listening within the context of the album, that's kind of resonated in a different way. And when you were listening to it live, were, did you have that reaction to it or were you just like kind of in it? Listening to it live, I was definitely kind of in it. The live experience is very different. It was a lot more guitar driven and a lot more bombastic almost in a very cool way. When I heard it on record after a couple of listens, it eventually just started reaching like a very almost kind of scared me yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. And uh, I think that's what they were going for with the song, trying to convey this sense of like emptiness but kind of angst at the same time which when you think Bon Iver you don't necessarily think angst but he captured it really well in that song in a very mature way as opposed to a whiny emo kind of way which don't get me wrong I love whiny emo and like just to backtrack a little bit because you were doing some globe trotting when you were at this festival or like where'd you hear it like what was the festival the festival was <laughs> it's been affectionately named Mameless Faceless or the Mitchell Burger Hotel festival kind of thing they did not have a name for it it's the on one hand cringiest and artsy fartiest thing i've ever heard of they didn't have a name or set times or anything like that it was in berlin on october 1st and 2nd 2016 uh it was completely about new and collaborative music so they housed like 80 artists in a hotel for a week and they just jammed and they hung out and they made music together and on the weekend following that week they kind of just did almost like a showcase kind of thing. And it was really cool because you kind of just wandered around between these couple of different stages and rooms and stuff like that. And everywhere you'd go, you'd see another new and crazy thing. That set was not the craziest thing I heard. There was some really abstract, weird shit going on. Just some really cool artists and stuff like that. But the cool thing with Just in particular, there were two rooms, Sal 1 and 2, which for every 100 people or 200 people that came into the festival, you were given a wristband with an assigned time where you would go to one of those rooms. And each of those sets, there would be like 45-minute sets, would be a different Justin set of sorts. So I saw a Boney Bear, and other friends saw a folk circle with Justin and Damien Rice and the Staves and a whole bunch of other people. And other friends saw Justin and a, another artist, I can't remember his name, just doing a solo piano stuff. So it was like the two of them playing piano and doing renditions of each other's songs. Another friend saw Justin in a choir, just a woman's choir. It was it was really crazy and it was really unique because I went with a group of friends that I had made there and each of us had a different set and we each had a very different experience in a really cool and beautiful way. And I think that's at the core of it. That's what musicianship is. It's getting together with people and just doing new and creative and collaborative things. So that energy was, for me personally, reached its peak with Justin's set because that was my first time hearing the record. And they did crazy things like they were using the Messina, which is the instrument that they made to build all those crazy harmonies. And just seeing, particularly there's a video of 45 online from the set that I was at. Okay. And it's, it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it's uh, different from the record too because they have the full band and the points. And just hearing Justin and Michael Lewis go back and forth with the sax and the Messina, it was just, and just being a part of that, just seeing that happen was really something special. That's something that I can feel like a lot of people can relate to anytime they see magical live experiences. But uh, that's what did it for me for this record. And I proceeded to listen to that record every day for the next six months. <laughs> oh my gosh, that really does sound incredible. It makes me think, because clearly we had a completely different gateway into the record. Because one of the things, I guess, that's an artist's job is establishing trust. And so the trust was clearly established with you because you got this like ethereal, just intimate experience to introduce you to the record. And me, I just like threw it up on Spotify and just like listened to it there. And so I don't know, I just kind of want to unpack some of the ways that we go into a record, how we listen, how we establish trust, how our expectations kind of shape the way we listen and kind of just like explore that and go from there. Because the trust that Justin had established with me already was just like this wintry like chamber pop acoustic folk thing that just like wraps you in a warm blanket and just like throws you into this world and then there's moments on 22 million where i get that still i still get that uh like safety what, in, in that particular from that like um in the first track the it might be over soon section and just like different moments in different songs 
as you go along where it's like, wow, I really connect with this. But then the rest of it, I almost don't even remember it some of the times because it just doesn't register with me the way the other stuff does. But with you, like you had this gateway, this like kind of like spiritual experience with the record. And then so this inspired you, you like read up with the how they produce the stuff like, you know, about the the Messina, like the instruments they use to produce that that like I think the, the record has a signature vocal sound for sure, which yeah. is the, that's what that instrument which is that harmonizer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So like how I think I've, I've kind of blocked out a grid for like the three layers, the three ways in, in which we will, will take in a record. So the first layer is the internal, or I guess the experiential layer, where you just take it in for what it is, the way it sounds, the way the songs hit you, and you judge it solely on how you're listening to it and how it sounds to you. Just the immediate gut reaction. For sure. Yeah, about. just okay. like how it looks to your ear. Essentially. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then the second, maybe uh, second or third listen, you go into the second layer where it's maybe some of the, the intellectual layer where it's like, OK, what are these exact chord progressions? What are the, the time signatures? What are the lyrics? What do they actually mean? And then so you delve into it that way. And furthermore, like what it means to me, what these, yeah, how these for things sure. and like, yeah, how, personally, each yeah, person. Yeah, 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 how like this applies to me specifically. And then the third layer will be, I guess, the external factors. Like, what was he thinking when he was writing this? What are the ways that they ach- achieved this sound? Who worked on this record? So you clearly, level one, they got you. <laughs> they got me good. And then when they the record when the record dropped, did you go through a period where you just kind of like on repeat listen to it just with an analytical ear? Uh, it, that happened after about the first week. I'm a bit of a nerd, and I know you are too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like I really enjoy, and part of my passion in life is picking apart the ways in which artists affect us, and which music affects us, and the ways which we other people can go on to create that a similar effect. As well as a listening for pure enjoyment, it's kind of become part of my mentality at the moment where very few pieces of music I can completely sit back and listen to objectively. Like every time I listen to something, it's like something will catch my ear. I'm like, oh, whoa, what was that? Yeah. So after about a week of listening to it and just being kind of dumbstruck, <laughs> I want to backtrack a little bit if that's okay. Yeah. Back to the expectations yeah. um, and the level one stuff. You said that Bon Iver for you personally was a little bit like this wintry feeling of being wrapped in a in a warm blanket. And that was the trust. That was the the rapport you had established with Justin with Bon Iver. One of the reasons why I think I enjoy this album so much, as opposed to I know there are plenty of people who don't, was the fact that he kind of threw off the blanket for this record. And he kind of showed what was underneath the blanket, not to get like kind of weird with it, <laughs> to extend the metaphor. And to me, that was a huge leap of faith. And this is partially biased as an artist and as an engineer myself, but like that is the ultimate display of trust, I feel like, because he really took a jump with this record. He really sacrificed a lot. And you can kind of it's palpable how much emotion was put into this. I don't mean in a technical sense. I mean, in a writing sense, these songs are much more soundscapey. They're much more there's much less form and meter. And there's it's I, I will be the first to say it's nothing like anything I've heard before. I think a lot of people, regardless of how they feel about the record, will agree with that. And to me, that's the ultimate display of trust. And that makes me want to trust him more. And let me try to join into that world a little bit. Did you feel like your trust was kind of abandoned when you first heard the record? Is that part of I don't know. It makes me your level one. <laughs> and even even what you're saying, it makes me think like, is there a responsibility that the artist has to shake me up and break that trust? Because like what is his job? His job isn't to like make more things that I, I want to listen to necessarily. Like I mean it could be from an entertainment aspect, but from just like a purely artistic point of view. I it's probably good that he like grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me around and was like, I'm doing something different. Take a listen. <laughs> um, because like I don't know, like what is his job if not to like challenge? Yeah. So it makes me think like maybe maybe I'm just a baby and need to be like shaken up a little bit. I totally feel like as in with many relationships, once you break that trust, once you shake a person up a little bit, there's certainly a period of 
not knowing what to do with it, mm-hmm. that information, um, not being sure whether that trust will be reformed, but I think of it like bones. It'll grow back stronger almost, you know, and it certainly did for me. When I first listened to that record, I was like on, on record, not the, the live experience. I was just like, what's going on? I was kind of confused, but it's also, it, it is a little bit of a challenge. And there's definitely a difference between people who enjoy listening to music for the challenge and people who just like to just to, just to listen to something. And I feel like Bon Iver's older stuff was able to be, and there's nothing wrong with either or. Don't get me wrong there. His older stuff was, especially the 4MS stuff, was stuff that you could just listen to. It kind of just, like, it was accessible. It's there for you. It's just, like, this person just sitting there with the guitar going, like, here. But now it's a little, there's a little bit more complex emotion going on. There's a little bit more complex everything going on. And personally, and this is to each individual person again, I felt like that challenge was, it was, it was good. I felt I had, like, it was letting me into that world a little bit more. And as a result, it came into my world a little bit more. As far as I understand, I'm, this is the record he wanted to make. Like this is this is where he's at as an artist, and I think there's. there's yeah. I have a lot of respect for artists who do have such an established brand who will intentionally be like, no, this is where I'm at. Come with me if you want, but this is where I'm at. Because I remember when the the newest Tame Impala record came out. Yeah, I we had a, this conversation. Too. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> no, no. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But that was, and I was thinking, oh, he he got signed to a big currents. Yeah. So. Yeah, currents. I yeah. I can never remember records when I need to. <laughs> it's but, all good. Um. I, I remember thinking like he was trying to, you know, hop on the synth pop train and like I resented it a little bit just because I didn't I had only gone through the level one phase of listening to it. And that was how I judged it. So when I hopped into I jumped straight to level three to see like what what was he thinking? And that was what he wanted to do like all along. And so that gave me a new level of respect for him as an artist and for the record just as a piece of art. But now, this all being said, while you might have respect for it, have you come to enjoy that record more? Do you think the level one to level three jump? When I actually like listen to the album with an open ear, mm-hmm. The Less I Know, The Better is one of my favorite songs. It's a fantastic track. It's, just it's hands wonderful. Down. Yeah. I do still think some of the songs are too long for their own good. But I absolutely respect Kevin Parker more from that level three listening experience. Okay. So do you think that the level two and level three listening experiences then deepen your appreciation for the art that people create? Or do you prefer not to know the story? Because there's, I'm sure there are like good and bad sides to both level two and level three, depending yeah. on the artist. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's really easy for us to forget that music comes from people. Yeah. We just hear it for sounds that are like entering our ears. So. And that initial gut reaction that kind of almost, I don't want to say selfish. Definitely. Well, because you, music is selfish. Like, yeah. it's, it's like you consume it. It's like how it connects with you, obviously. Yeah. As you, well as how it connects with other people around you and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you uh, look for yourself in the record. So I think that when an artist does kind of break the expectation and it makes you reassess just how you listen to records in general, I think that they should get points just for that. Like I, I think differently about how I listen to music because of these experiences kind of getting my hair frazzled over the, <laughs> the, over the, the how and why almost. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think that it's worth reassessing your habits just as a consumer every once in a while. Yeah. So you so you just can going like, in with a second chance. I'm yeah. Like. So you can like explore new worlds because like if I didn't have the conversation with you, I'd probably be hating on the record right now. Like, oh, it still doesn't grab me. But I think it's important to remember that people, you know, take things in differently and people grow and people change. Yeah. And especially like listening to you talk about it and like how it just informs your your production habits now. Mm-hmm. I think. What do I think? <laughs> the this question. I don't know. I guess I, I guess I get it now. The interesting thing in particular about Boney Bear is that this was all completely foreshadowed by the track Woods off the Blood Bank EP. I, have you heard that EP? I have, yeah. Okay. Do you know which track I'm talking I, about? I do know what you're talking about. The, the one with the, I'm up in the woods, just that one repeated line. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I think for a lot of people, this record came out of the blue, and it certainly were, there were a lot of surprises. But looking back amongst this discography, this experimentation with electronic elements, this experimentation with other forms, so to speak, in music, has been something that Justice has been doing for a long time now. That Blood Bank came out like a solid, I don't even know, probably like six years before. The connection between Woods and 715 is one that's brought up a lot. They're different songs, of course. Uh, 715 being the solo Justin Messina, almost poetic song on yeah. the record. Yeah. But you can see, you can see, you can kind of almost trace the progression yeah. just because, uh, especially when you look at Justin's other projects like Volcano Choir and stuff like that, you can kind of look inside that community and take a look at who else he's been working with. Uh, and you can take a look at what has led to this record in that level of three cents, especially when you take a look at the Teenage Engineering OP1 which was the instrument that kind of started 22 and the rest of this record. That's an amazing little device. I don't know if you've seen it or checked it out or anything like that, but it's pretty much an all-in-one little pocket synth kind yeah. of thing that's also mm -hmm. a DAW and yeah. four-track recorder yeah. and has like sampling capabilities and looping capabilities and stuff like that. And that's really where the basis of this record comes from. And I think that's one of the biggest differences. Instead of writing this on a guitar or jamming with the band or something like that, it's more personal because it was just him and that little device yeah which is there's actually an interesting story behind that 22 was actually he was on a vacation in the greek islands during the off season by himself and evidently the greek islands in the the off season are just a terrible place to be there was like no one there it was really depressing he hated himself and he was really dealing he needed that break because he was really dealing with the, the fame and success of Boney Bear and stuff like that, not to belittle it or anything like that. But he ended up just making it worse for himself. So he just was sitting there at this train station going, it might be over soon. And that's how 22 was born. He was just fiddling on this little synth and just feeling sorry about himself, which I'm sure everyone can relate to to a certain, to a certain extent. But not only did this record come from a different place, but it was also produced in a very different way. I think that's what led to the assortment of different decisions along the line. Not just being a different person and stuff like that, but also just growing immensely and trying new things as a musician. Yeah. No, because I can I can hear the sadness in the It Might Be Over, because that's one of the lines that grabbed me, like It Might Be Over Soon. That's one of my favorite moments on the record. So, yeah, I definitely think that even though it, it didn't grab me quite at first and it wasn't exactly what I maybe wanted in my selfishness. I think that, especially after hearing you talk about it, it did give me the ears to give it another listen. And I think that I do respect Justin Vernon just as a creator more mm -hmm. for it. That being said, I can totally understand why people hate it. <laughs> like it's a, it's a very weird record. It's kind of mm -hmm. quirky. What do you think? Do you think the next record is going to be a, a little bit of a middle ground between the Oh, the I have brands? no idea. Or is it over now? <laughs> Soon it might be now. over soon. Um, <laughs> no, I, I genuinely have no idea where he's going to go from here. I don't think he knows just yet either. I'd imagine it's very based on who he's working with at any given point in time. He was working a lot with the guys from Teenage Engineering in the creation of this record. He was obviously working with the rest of the band and Boney Bear because they all contribute a lot more than I think most people give them credit for, all of his collaborators. And he's very vocal about thanking his collaborators and stuff like that. I, I'd imagine he'd pull back from the synthy stuff a little bit yeah. and electronic elements. I, I'd imagine that it might get a little bit... I'd imagine he'd take more leaps, musically speaking. Yeah. Not as much sonically speaking, yeah. but in terms of pure composition, yeah. he's going to go in a very different direction. Because he was doing a lot of jazz stuff. Yeah. So I, I wonder if we'll get, I wonder if we'll get like a, a folk electronic jazz record. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Still a bunch of samples and stuff like that. He's probably, he's always going to retain that falsetto and that pop hook. Oh, definitely. Yeah, if he, so if, that's he gonna be the one if he started singing in his chest voice, I'm pretty sure his whole fandom would just like dissolve <laughs> all at once. His chest voice is great. It is good. But he's got to balance it. It's, yeah. it's all about that balance. Yeah. Uh, it's really <laughs> funny how he found that, actually. He didn't, until he released For Emma, he didn't know he had a falsetto. And he was actually just doing impressions one day. And someone was just like, hey, Justin, you got a good falsetto. And he was like, huh. 
Oh my god. Maybe I do. He was like 24 at that time. Wow. <laughs> and uh, the Spony Bear was born. Um, Gosh, it's it's so funny how like insignificant things end up just being just, an entire brand. Like, yeah, he just has. becoming revolutionary just as a freaking joke. <laughs> Well, I know that my listening habits have definitely been changed for the better after that. I know I'm going to give things a little bit more thought thanks to, to you and your insight oh, and kind of helping Justin shake me out of my out of my rut a little bit. And yeah, hopefully it's not over soon. We get another bone of record pretty soon. <laughs> fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And thank, thank you. If you ever listen to this, Justin, thank you for shaking me up. I appreciate it. I love your record. <laughs> Despite everything I've said this whole this whole time. Special thanks to Sam for going along with my impromptu outdoor podcast recording. I'll put some links in the show notes so you can keep up with what he's up to, what his band's up to. And until next time, thank you very much for listening to the True Folk Podcast.